0: When I saw that, uh, I looked on the, the website and I saw that the pep band, I guess, it was going to be performing today, I was hoping that meant that Carl would be leading the songs because a few years ago at the feast, we sang Ancient Words. It was the first time I ever heard this song. And I was like, this song is so awesome. So I was like praying that if Carl was here, we would sing that song. So already the Lord is working and answering prayers. Um, He was actually answering prayers for us yesterday because our flight was delayed for, I believe nine hours in Detroit. So my wife was supposed to get here at like 12 o'clock. We had it all planned. I looked up like the best barbecue restaurants in Dallas. (laughs) We were gonna get somewhere for lunch, eat some brisket, come to Tyler. She was gonna be on bring on the Sabbath. It was gonna be awesome. And then all those plans went away and I'm sitting in the airport yesterday and I'm just kind of like, Imitating eating brisket because this is what I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing right now. So I was, just real, I was disappointed, but I just prayed. I said, God, like, whatever needs to be done. There were some mechanical issues on the plane. I said, fix that before we get on that plane. So God definitely answered prayers. It is wonderful to be back here. I bring greetings from Detroit and our pastor, Bronson James. Um, it's really wonderful to be back here. And I was really happy because despite all that happened yesterday, when we got out of our car at the hotel, there was the smell of smoked meat in the air. (laughs) So I was like, even though I couldn't make it to the restaurant to get all that that brisket, at least I was able to to get a, a whiff of it. If you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to Mark chapter three, and I'll begin in verse 23. Leading up to this scripture, In the gospel, according to Mark, we have a list of of healings from Jesus. He freed a man from demon possession and he healed Peter's mother-in-law of a severe fever. He healed a leper, a paralyzed man and a man with a withered hand. And all of that is from Mark one up until uh, our our scripture in verse in chapter three. Those healings attracted a multitude of followers. But there were some in the crowd that attributed those healings to a demonic spirit. So so Jesus corrected those people in Mark 3, verse 23. And while teaching those people a lesson some 2000 years ago, he also taught a lesson that could bring spiritual healing to the family today. So beginning in verse 23, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version, the scripture says, So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. I would like to title this message today, Rebuilding Kingdom Homes. Rebuilding Kingdom Homes. Now, I had two helps for this sermon. The first help comes from a minister that's not too far from here in Dallas named Tony Evans. And he's written a litany of books on kingdom building families. And I have a family and I started to read this just to internalize it for my own family. And then I realized that there was some great fruit in there. And, and I started to study up on him and I realized that his family is also bearing fruit. One of his sons is a gospel singer. Another son is a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. And I think that, was, that would be like awesome. I wish I could be the chaplain for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> we might win a playoff game one year. And his daughter is, was the lead actress in War Room. His wife Lois calls joining her husband in ministry a blessing. So speaking of blessings and wives, my wife is the other help. Because she's been reviewing my sermons for the last seven, eight years. And I remember the first time she reviewed my sermon, she said, it's good. I just made a few changes. (laughs) Even now, she'll try to edit jokes that I may want to insert into a sermon, say, "Well, you don't need to add that, or she's trying to tell me it's not that funny. (laughs) But she is invaluable to me in her role as wife, and her PhD is also worth a lot to me the night before a sermon. About 10, 15 years ago, my aunt, who lived in Plano, Texas, so this is a very Texas-themed message to start off with, she had a house and she was considering selling it. So somebody that she knew came over to look at her house and noticed that there was a crack in one of the walls of her house. Come to find out that she had an issue with the foundation in her home. Now, she could have patched a crack in the wall, made it look nice on day one, but then that crack will eventually come back with a whole family of cracks. The cracks warned of a deeper issue within her foundation. With that one issue, that one problem within her house, her her house lost over half its value because of a poor foundation. The problems that we face today in our country is not because of a divided government. It's because our families are divided and the word of God has not been poured into the foundation of the family. There are cracks in our families between wives and husbands, children and parents. I can turn on the radio in Detroit right now and I can hear an advertisement for Adam. This is not Garden of Eden, Adam. This is the American Divorce Association for Men. Divided means to separate into parts, cut into pieces. We have spouses that are seeking separations. They cut each other up with hateful words. And we see these divisions play out every day. If a husband and a wife get into an argument, the husband may go into one room, the wife will go into another room, and then you have the child in the middle that doesn't know what direction to go into. If the nuclear option, and for today, the nuclear option is divorce. If that is used, then we have the child's time being divided between parents. Money is another area that causes division in the family. I love my wife and I trust my wife when she goes shopping. But when I still hear those words of going to the store, I'm just going out for a little bit. Still get a little bit worried about what my bank account is going to look like tomorrow morning when I check it. And I trust her. But there are spouses that have secret bank accounts. There are spouses that have bank accounts and they won't let their wife or their husband know how much is in it. Now, from a biblical standpoint here, we have spouses that want to know each other, but they, want, they don't want to let them know how much is in the bank. Now, this is a family affair, and there's so many children here. So if you don't know what know your spouse means, ask somebody over dinner or potluck or later on tonight. There is a void of parental leadership, teaching and discipline. While our teachers are teaching one plus one and two times two, parents have stopped teaching their children about the king of kings and the lord of lords. Children know the lyrics to so many popular songs today, but they can't recite a single verse from the book of Psalms. So the foundation of the family is shifting like the foundation on my aunt's house. We try to patch the cracks in society with money, laws, social programs, but more cracks are showing up. That's because we're patching the cracks in our families with surface level solutions and they only look good temporarily. In Ezekiel 22, there was a lack of righteous men men that would build up society with the word of God. In Ezekiel 22, verse 28, the scripture says that her speaking of Israel, her prophets plastered them and them as the people of Israel with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The prophets, the spiritual leaders had lowered the standard. They had ushered in unrighteous bloodshed, making widows and allowing children to rise up. And now these prophets are patching up the people with untempered mortar. Now, untempered mortar was typically made with clay. The surface of untempered mortar is rubbed smooth and it's attractive in appearance. So it'll keep the wall standing and it'll look good, but it requires a lot of attention. It's flimsy and it's unreliable like these false prophecies. And it can be broken down by a push or a heavy storm because it was worthless. Now I try to do a lot of work around the house. This sounds a lot like my home improvement projects (laughs) because it'll look good right now in April, whatever it is I'm doing. But by the time Mother's Day rolls around, gotta go back to the store, I gotta go finally call a contractor to fix my problems. So the patchwork will look good on day one, but it's not going to last. There is a gap in the family. One way we try to patch the cracks with taxes to finance more social programs, and they may work for a while, but it's it's usually built to build up a person after the situation has already gotten bad, and it does not fully lift them out of despair. We have false prophets today that continue to profit by saying that you need to surrender more of your offering dollars for the church building fund. Now, I came from a Baptist background and there were church building funds all over the place. Even if you didn't see a a brick go up, there was still a church building fund. But God will reward you when you make this offering. Now, you might get your name on a church pew or on a brick outside the church, but you're still mired in debt because you're not getting help to help you with your financial problems. The false prophets will continue to profit by just saying, just call Adam and we'll divorce you from the woman that God gave you. So you might feel good walking out of the courthouse, but you still have the same bad habits that made that woman glad that, God, that you were able to get rid of that man that God gave you. We need to deal with foundational, sometimes multi-generational issues. And God is trying to talk to us through the cracks in the wall. Those cracks bear the name of greed lust, jealousy, and now it's time to take a deeper look below the surface. If we wanna save the world, we have to save the family first. And to do that, we must understand why God created the family unit. So let's turn to Genesis chapter one. We need to raise our standards to meet the standard of holiness that God set for us back in the garden. Right now, society has placed a higher value on happiness over holiness. As a result, families are ignoring the kingdom mandate of godly holiness to satisfy the human mandate of individual happiness. 40 to 50% of all marriages in the United States end in divorce, and a lot of them end because people just aren't happy. This might hurt a lot of people They may not notice, but happiness is not the goal of marriage. Happiness is a byproduct and a benefit, but not the reason why the family was created. A family that is fully aligned with God understands that the family unit was created by God to reflect the kingdom of God for God. So here in Genesis chapter one, verses 27 through 28, I just want to touch on three parts of this kingdom mandate. Verse 27 says that So God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And he finishes the verse by saying, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the first part of this kingdom mandate is for both man and woman to have dominion over the earth. So down here on the physical level. Our physical rule was, to, was created to reflect God's heavenly spiritual rule. The second part of this mandate is that when God created Adam and Eve, he told us to be fruitful and multiply. I only have one child here and the other four are back in Detroit. So last year I brought the whole basketball team. This year we just brought, we just brought the point guard. So the quiver is full in the Hanson household. But the family was designed to fill the world with God's image, not ours. The third part of this kingdom mandate was that with us created in his image, the family is to be a mirror image of God and reflect him throughout history. So if people are searching for a visual representation of the family relationship between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, they should be able to look at every family that claims to be part of the church of God. When husbands look at wives and vice versa, they should see a reflection of love, respect, holiness. Parents want their children to be a good reflection of them. It's the desire of all parents, including our heavenly father. So with this kingdom mandate, both man and woman have been given authority to go forth and represent the kingdom of God. And that representation starts with the husband as the head of the family. Now, to understand the commission of a kingdom focused man. You must go back to the creation of man. Now, some would call Adam the prototype, but a prototype is the preliminary model of something. It came first. So Adam was a prototype of the prototype. In Genesis 1, verse 26, said God, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So Adam was created as he was intended to be, which is perfect. So consider this. There had been no man created before him. And he was created in an environment of perfection. He was created by a perfect God. He was created in a place of perfection. And we say that Abraham is our father and the father of faith. But we were also given an Adamic commission. God told man and female in verse 28 to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds, the air and over every living thing that moves on earth. So God gave us dominion over the earth. But there's something in the creation of Adam that I always overlooked. And I hope that this is not a tangent. I was told that after 45 minutes, there's a trap door under here and I go bye bye. So I hope I can make it before the 45 minutes and then take this back to Detroit, because I think that's a wonderful thing to have. (laughs) In chapter one, the phrase, then God said, is repeated eight times. But there is a change in verse 26 when two words get introduced to us. God said, let us make man in our image. This is the first time that us and our are used. When you flip over to Genesis two, verse four and the rest of that chapter, you read that Lord God made. You read that the Lord God formed and that the Lord God breathed. Then the Hebrew language and the Hebrew language can really help you out if you can learn it, study it, get a strong concordance to understand some of the mysteries in the word of God. In the Hebrew language, we went from the word Elohim to Yahweh Elohim. So Elohim is the general name for God. And we see it used in the context of God as creator. Elohim, God, this awesome, powerful (laughs) creator. The one who simply makes something out of nothing. Then we have a slight, slight twist when they made man in their image. There's a second powerful character that's introduced to us. And then in chapter two, we have Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh is used in the context of God having a relationship with his people. So when you see a conversation between man and God, whether it's in the garden or on Mount Sinai or in a prison, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim is used. So when God starts setting things up for man in chapter two, he moves from being this distant, powerful creator to being intimately involved with man. So God is saying, I'm not just giving you this commission, but I'm going to be governing your life as Lord. I want to relate to you and I'm going to oversee the affairs of your life. I'm going to be ruler over your life. I am going to be your Lord. So a kingdom focused man does more than just believe in God, because even the demons can say that. A kingdom focused man believes in God and the God he believes in is also his Lord. So a kingdom driven person, man or woman, must ask themselves two important questions. Who is Lord over my life? And am I submitting to my Lord's rule? See, when God created man, he said, let's make man in our image in two dimensions, male and female. But they were still subject to rule from a third dimension. He gave authorization to both male and female to power rule over the earth. But they still had to understand that there was someone over them whose rules we're subjected to. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 that the head of every man is Jesus Christ. So no matter how high and mighty a man may want to feel, Christ is still the true head of the household and he commands man's submission. And if a man is submissive, then he's the mirror image of the Savior. Ephesians 5 talks a lot with submission. And verses 25 through 33 tell you what that image should look like for husbands. See, Paul says that husbands are to be a savior, a sanctifier and a satisfier. Paul tells husbands in Ephesians 5 and verse 25 to love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So just like how Jesus sacrificed his life to save his people. Husbands must make sacrifices for the good of their families. What does it profit a man to gain their desires, but lose their families in the process? If men abandon a call to make a loving sacrifice for the good of the family, there are forces at play waiting to cause division. All you have to do is just wait until you can get to the kingdom and talk to Adam and Eve all about that. Verse 26. Husbands are told to sanctify and cleanse their wives with the washing of water by the word. The definition of sanctify means to set apart or declare holy. There are too many wives today that are feeling cast aside, not set apart. If you want to know how important a wife should feel, think about how special and important. Or if you want, if I could go back to my Baptist moments just for a moment. If you want to know how saved and sanctified. You must feel. Think about how you feel every time you think about the hammer, the nails and the cross on Mount Calvary. A kingdom focused husband will show love to his wife by helping to grow her spiritually. Men, we need to be a satisfier. In verse 28, it says that husbands are to love their own wives as their own bodies. So a man would not leave his body unattended to or or without taking care of it for a great amount of time. He should likewise not treat his wife in this manner. If a husband desires a better life, he can do more by investing more into his wife. So husbands, ask yourselves this. Are your wives feeling satisfied today? But wives, remember that mirror. Do your husbands reflect satisfaction today? If husbands can fulfill their role as savior, sanctifier and satisfier, a spirit of transformation fills the family environment. And then that allows wives to transform into the image of what God wants to see from them. And it's a powerful image. Now before I leave Ephesians 5, I'm sure there may be a man or two that'll be really disappointed with me and not want me to come back inside the Texas state lines if I don't refer to Ephesians 5 verse 22. Most Christian men can recite that verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. <clears throat> A family cannot reach whatever destiny God has for it if the wife does not biblically submit to their husband. It doesn't mean you must cook his favorite meal every night. It doesn't mean you must rub his feet as soon as you both get home from work. Notice I threw both in there. I know these things because I've been married for almost 15 years now. And I know what works and what does not work. It means that you willingly place yourself under the legitimate authority of your husband because of your submission to the Lord, your Lord. Because your obligation is to the rule of the Lord. And the Lord did say in Genesis three, verse 16, that he being Adam, the husband would rule over Eve, the wife. That is the word of God, not the word of Herb. Even though God said that. He did not take back the commandment for women to have dominion or power. God's design for marriage was not, for, not to value man over woman. It's about setting up a differentiation in roles and responsibilities. It is easier in my house if Anika helps the kids with their homework and I cut the grass, rake the leaves, do anything outside of patching up the house because I'm awful at that. Now, is it because I'm a man and that's man's work outside and she should be over the kids? Not in my household. That's not the reason. She has a master's degree in education administration. She has a Ph.D. in educational psychology, and I do not. I would ask you who you think is better suited to teach our kids, but I don't want my feelings hurt today. (laughs) If I was the one teaching the kids and Anika was cutting the grass, neither job would get done effectively because we're not doing what we're best suited to do. If your husband is doing right as the spiritual lead of the household, then value that man, because that means he's also valuing you the way God sees you. Now, I said legitimate authority a couple minutes ago. What I mean is that the authority of the man is legitimate when he is submissive to God's rule. He's being obedient to God. If your husband is not doing that, wives, go to 1 Peter chapter 3. As Peter tells us that if men don't get with the God program, their prayer life is going to hit a roadblock. In first Peter, chapter three, verse seven, the scripture says, husbands, likewise dwell with not over them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter is saying to the man, man, if you don't get with the God program and treat your wife right, you're putting a roadblock in the path of your prayer after it leaves your lips and before it reaches God's ears. So if the man in your life, if the husband in your life is not treating you right and is not valuing what you bring to the table, he is getting out of alignment with God. God's kingdom has laws. And it is against the law for anyone to be treated less than what our creator had in mind when he made you. Now, back in Genesis, back in his garden, he made woman an equal partner in his plan for his work. So women, when you leave for work in the morning, you need your shoes, you need your coat, you need your clothes. Those are essential items to wear or else you'll get sick or in the case of a lack of clothing, you'll get arrested. I hope there's not a Mary Kay salesperson or anybody who works in that in that line because you can run out the house without your makeup. You don't need your concealer and your blush and all of those things because it's not essential. It's just an accessory. God is saying, "My kingdom has work that needs to be done in the morning, and I made a woman to be more than just an accessory." So when someone wants to reduce your worth, go back to the Hebrew because that language, ladies, will hook you up if I could borrow that phrase from the younger generation. It says that Eve was created to be a helpmeet or a helper comparable to Adam. Now in Hebrew the combination of those words is Ezer connecto. Now what does that mean in plain English? Well Ezer means helper. Now if you have a concordance and you want to look this up you can go to Strong's H5828 and you find this word for helper. You will also find this word used throughout scripture when God wants to show his strength to help humanity. It was used to talk about God delivering Moses from Pharaoh's sword. In Psalm 3320, the scripture says the Lord is our help and our shield. Ezer is also the one who rescues the poor and needy in Psalm 70, verse five. Ezer is also the one who God's people place their confidence in in Psalm 124, verse eight. When God named a woman as an easier helper, God placed his own nature within her calling. In fact, when God said it was time for his son to come into the world to be our savior, he bypassed man completely and went straight to a strong woman named Mary to place his son and our savior within her so that Jesus Christ could be the savior to the whole world. But there's a little bit more to easier when you add connecto to it. Because connecto literally means in front of him, not in the back, not out of sight, but in front of him. So, Ezer connecto is a helper who stands in front of a man. And I've already told you about that mirror, that reflection. So, if two people are in front of each other and they're staring at each other, there's no one left to be in the back, behind anyone. If you look in front of you and you see something that looks like you, you would say, well, I must be looking at a mirror. This is my reflection I'm looking at. So when man looks at woman, when husband looks at wife when wife looks at husband, they should see their spiritual God created equal. Mirrors can reveal a lot. As I have aged, mirrors can be very unflattering. I see mirrors will tell you if you're fitting in shape or if you need to add some more fruit and vegetables to your diet. I might have to lay off the brisket if I look at a mirror this afternoon. But what are you revealing to your husband, wives? Are you a helpful wife by showing him what's wrong so he can right his ways? Me and Anika would argue all the time about different different things and I would get a little bit more animated which might be a surprise to some of you. But I would get really animated when we have an argument. And Anika would just sit there quietly and there'd be this peace and this calm about her and it would make me even more upset. And I'm like, why aren't you angry about this? Like, I'm angry. Match my anger, please. But I realized that I was looking like a fool when I looked at my mirror reflecting back to me. See, Anika is essential to the God program in my house because I need her to help me in her role as wife. I need my Easer Connecto as a collaborator. And I understand if I don't get with the program and value the gifting that God gave me in my wife, I will be out of alignment with God. See, I'm just a man down here who can't reduce my wife's value down here because her husband up there, the real man up there overrules lowly me down here because the Lord God established her value down here from his place in his kingdom up there so I may not know a lot but I do know the woman who identifies herself as an easer is mighty in power now think about the impact a strong kingdom focused father and a strong kingdom focused mother can have on a child Ephesians 6 verse 4 says to bring children up in the training and admonition of the Lord my name is Herbert, my father's name was Herbert, my grandfather's name was Herbert. I named my poor oldest son Herbert. <laughs> and I did it because, I, I named it because well, I was like, well, my dad was a great dad. My dad told me the same thing when I was a kid and I, and I told him I would change my name when I, became, when I was 21 years of age. He said, well, I named you after your grandfather. Even though my son is named after me, I don't want him to reflect me. I don't want him to reflect my, 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 my earthly father. I want him to reflect his heavenly father. The goal of all Christian parents is to raise children who represent, reflect and replicate the image of God. So parents must teach their children how to live their lives faithfully under God's rule. That means we must do the work of correcting our children, bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Like it says in Hebrews 12 verse 11, That no chastening system may seem to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So basically what the scripture is saying, is it may not feel good to punish your child today. But today's training yields fruit of righteousness for tomorrow. Children must know there's an order to the family. I'm the dad in my household. They're the children. They must do as I told and I really don't have to give them a reason. Just like God can, do it, can tell me to do whatever he wants and I can't question him. He's God. He's the authority figure. I have to do it just because he says so. Pass down godly values to your children so they will turn around and pass them down to their children. Establish a biblical value system for your children. Whenever there's a teachable moment for your child, go to the Bible to solve your problems. There is a biblical answer to every situation that I can face. And I can use that same book for my children. So filter out the values of the world of man and filter in the values of the word of God. So the government can pass whatever rules they want to. It doesn't overrule the word of God because that's the ultimate law book in my family. And if parents don't raise their children with godly values, then that's where they'll get their values from elsewhere. So you can say hello to Facebook, YouTube, ignorant friends that haven't lived a, a moment in this world as an adult. Hebrews twelve eleven mentions the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So that means we're instructed to, and we're instructed to be fruitful and multiply. When we're bearing godly kingdom focused fruit, our families will become a conduit of godly values and blessings from generation to generation. I moved into a house a few years ago, and there is a mezuzah on the doorpost of my house. Now, you may not know what this is, but a mezuzah, that's something in in Jewish tradition where they hang those on their doorposts. And inside of them, they'll they'll have some scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9 will be in there. Deuteronomy 11 verses 13 through 21 will be in there. Deuteronomy 6 through 6 verse 7 commands that these words should be taught diligently to the children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So the word of God was meant to be an integral part of family life. The reward comes in Deuteronomy 11 verse 21 when it says that if you do all that God has commanded, Your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. So there are multi-generational blessings available to the families today. But first, we need to fix the cracks in the foundation. The families need to read the cracks on the wall before we suffer the same fate as King Belshazzar. It was too late for that king when Daniel read his cracks. They read Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharson. Because God was saying, I'm ending your kingdom. He repeated He repeated it. Dividing it into enemy hands. We serve a merciful God because it's not too late to save the families that bear our names. It's not too late to stop houses from being divided up into the devil's hands. It's time to build multi-level houses multi-generational legacies so let your godly family legacy be the example for another family that is just digging their foundation that way our kingdom focused homes are part of a neighborhood with other kingdom focused homes and there's one thing I know about real estate is that when a neighborhood improves the real estate value of that neighborhood moves up and other people see what's happening and they want to move in and they want to be a part of that A neighborhood that was once considered dead and worthless is now alive and valuable. I live in Detroit, and I have seen that over the last six and seven years, as there has been more uh, resources poured into neighborhoods and homes that used to go for $5,000. Nice homes were going for $5,000, and now they're over 10 times that worth. So I know if it can happen in the physical world, then it can happen on the spiritual playing field. Now, earlier I talked about untempered mortar that is worthless. Well, there's two qualities in good mortar that allows bricks to be bound together as you build a foundation then add some levels to, the, to your house. Uh, one of those qualities is the word of God. The other quality is the word of your testimony. Now, I want to just close with a story that strengthened the foundation and helped build up the house of Hansen. Back in 2014, my wife, and I were looking to move. We had moved into a neighborhood a couple years before then. We said, this is a transient neighbor, neighborhood, but we're gonna go in there, we're gonna be an impact. We're gonna start a community garden with our church and we're going to be the example. And we're going to try and show, show people the right way, the godly way to raise families. But the thing was, after a couple of years, I got tired of calling the cops on drug dealers that, that the neighbors were sheltering. Because those drug dealers grew up on the block. Those drug dealers were giving them great, great rates on on what he was selling on his product. But in the midst of a trying time and trying to purchase a house, my prayer life was not aligned with God. Instead of praying for transformation in the drug dealer's life, which is what I should have been doing. I prayed for God to smite them. Now, you don't need to go and look in a dictionary to, to, to know what smite means, right? So I was really out of alignment. And don't you all judge me either now. OK, when I go back home. But my Easer Connect, though, my help me, my helper suitable stepped in and she just said, you know, that's not right. I was so focused on my unhappiness that I forgot about God's holiness. In the midst of a prayer, Jesus said, for the sake of your family, get back under me. And submit to what I'm about to tell you. See, he wanted more out of me in the form of worship called tithing. And that's a foundational word of God that I build my house on. He said, I'm not just asking for a tenth of your paycheck. And that's what I give him. He said, I'm asking for 20 percent of your paycheck. And I said, God, now, wait a minute now. I know I was out of alignment. I know I shouldn't have been asking and praying for you to smite some people. But that's a lot. And I'm trying to save up for a house. But he's God. He is my Lord. I have to submit to him. So our offer on the house was accepted. The next step was the home inspection. The home inspector came in and said that the house had a solid foundation. But at the same time, the home inspector and in my family, who is Jesus Christ, came in and said, the foundation on your house, on your family is solid. See, with a solid foundation, the environment is now primed and ready for a supernatural work. So a couple months had passed. We're going through the whole process. We're about ready to close on the house. And we're leaving for the feast because keeping God's holy days is a foundational word from God that we built our house on. So on our way down to the feast, we're about halfway to Myrtle Beach. Our, the appraisal came back and our realtor called us and said that the house was, was valued well worth with the offer that we put on the house. And there were some repairs that needed to be done on the house. It needed, a lot, it needed some rehabbing. So we were in a bind. We still had to go keep God's feast, but it sounded like we were about to lose our house that we really wanted. So we told the realtor that we're gonna pray on it. And can you call the, and just please call the seller and see if they're willing to drop the price work with us. So we got back in our car and we kept on going down the highway. About an hour passes The realtor calls and says, well, your prayers must work because they just agreed to drop the price. Now, they had a cash offer that would have gotten them their asking price. But sometimes God's favor is not fair. And sometimes you will get favor and you will be promoted before someone else just because we serve a great God and he will reward his obedient servants. When, we, when, they, when they dropped the price and I kind of looked over things afterwards, I realized that all the, that, that extra money that, that God was telling me that I had to tie to him, it came back over tenfold after they dropped the price of the house. Now, that experience is something for my children to believe in because they lived through that. They experienced that. And they can build on that for future generations. Just like I was able to build on the foundation that my mother set up going to church for years and years when my dad didn't want to go to church. But she knew how important it was. So she was going to church and she was taking me with her. And she was building on the foundation that my grandfather, who was a preacher for years, over 40, 50 years, she was building off of of that foundation that was left. So there was already some tempered mortar in the foundation. Now, I said that this was a a rehab house, so we had to have a rehab loan. Well, here's the thing about the rehab loan that we had. What what happens is they'll take the value of the house before the repairs are done. Then they'll take the cost of the the rehab work, and then they'll tell you how much the house is worth after that. Well, the value is, is usually more than the cost of the house and the repairs combined. So even though we had a a house that some thought was not very worthy because it needed some working and some fixing up on, we were able to get in the house, we were able to get some rehab work done on it with good materials, right materials, long lasting materials, and now the house is valued for more than those two items combined. So we have an enemy and it will say that your family is worthless, but we serve a savior who came to save and sanctify The broken family unit, make it more valuable than what it was before. So it's not too late to rebuild the foundation of a broken relationship. So once you finish the foundation, build up the house. And I know there's a lot of ranch style homes I've seen in Texas, but don't stop with a ranch style home. Build some stories on it. See, the stronger the foundation, the more stories you can add. Now, I don't know how many of y'all used to watch the Jeffersons. But I used to like watching the Jeffersons and one of their lines in the the intro song was they talk about this deluxe apartment in the sky. So keep going brick by brick, story by story, generation by generation. And the next thing you know, you will have a deluxe apartment in the sky because you're moving on up. And as you go higher, what happens is that house starts to interrupt the flow of the air in the vicinity. Therefore, there is a shifting of the atmosphere. So the atmosphere is shifting up in the atmosphere instead of the foundation because that foundation is built on rock. It is built on a spiritual rock. And I believe you know his name, Jesus Christ. And regardless of the stories of your house, remember that Jesus always occupies the penthouse. So it's not too late to rebuild what's crumbling. God is asking for kingdom men to make a wall and stand in the gap before him on behalf of the land. God is asking for kingdom women like Deborah to arise in families where life has ceased. We may crumble, we may fall, but one of my favorite gospel songs tells me that we fall down, but we get up. The generations are coming together right now and they're asking us to get up and rebuild KINGDOM HOMES.